This is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. And today we're talking about sock pop games featuring Stacklands and Similand. And although we're going to highlight gameplay from those two more specifically, we both played a bunch of sock pops games. So we'll be talking about a whole gaggle of them today. Now I kind of uh, got into sock pop, like I've heard of them for the longest time, but um, their recent release, Stacklands, was kind of a breakout hit from what they normally have, and uh, a lot of the people in my indie game circles, or my uh, indie game dev circles, were discussing it and discussing the sock pop model, so I thought I'd give the game a shot, and Stacklands is great, you should definitely buy it, play it, enjoy it. Um, but I uh, went and did a deep dive on Stacklands on our website, pixelatedplaygrounds.com. Um, I do kind of game design perspectives every once in a while. I did one on Stacklands that uh, Brian was, thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, it was interesting enough to me that I decided to look into them a bit more. That They had been on the periphery of what I was aware of. You know, I knew that there was this group of uh, developers from the Netherlands that were making games on Patreon. And I, I never really gave it a second thought, but once Josh wrote this um, feature or this feature for our, our little site and um, I started to hear more about Stacklands, I decided to go ahead and become a Patreon for a few or a patron on Patreon for a few months myself and see what it was all about. Um, so I've been a, a, <laughs> a sock pop patron now since I guess uh, May and uh, May of 2022 that is. And uh, I, I'm quite enjoying the the output. You know, it's it's really fun to have like a new little game come to your itch account or your Steam account um, every two weeks. It's a, a nice little treat, you know, and it's for less than you'd spend on coffee for the given same time period. Now, sir, really, that sounds interesting that they have a Patreon account. Like that's not a normal game dev thing. What's up with that? Yeah, so I, uh, I I looked into the history of this a little bit, and I guess they started it back in, uh, I can't remember if it's 2018, 2019, but they've been doing it for several years now. I remember they released a retrospective back in, in 2019 that they'd been doing it for a year, so I guess it must have been 2018. And um, yeah, the, this basically these were four friends living in Utrecht in uh, Netherlands, uh, you know, game dev, game dev hotspot, thanks to some local college courses that are, are pretty popular thereabout. And, um, yeah, they have basically joined up with each other and formed a game dev collective for developers. Each one puts out a game every, uh, basically six weeks or, uh, I guess eight weeks, right? So you have basically two months to develop your, your game and then you have to release. So it takes the pressure off of you to release something every two weeks, um, given there's four of them, you know, you can spread that out and, and all of a sudden you have... Uh, a rotating cast of games coming from either Tom, Ruben, Aaron, or Timon, uh, the four developers of Sock Pop. Now, they all work on their games independently, too. So they have a game coming out every two months. Sorry, every two weeks. Uh, but each game developer has one coming out every two months, which is a pretty accelerated schedule as far as game development goes. Like, a lot of indie game devs will spend two years, five years, uh, <laughs> put in work into their game and polishing it up and everything. Whereas this is much quicker of a release cycle. Yeah. We just talked about Caves of Cud, which has been at it for like a dozen years. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, two you know. months, 12 years, <laughs> eh, potato, potato. Right. But I think the interesting thing about this is, as you said, like it's a collective, they do work together. Oh, they do a lot of sh asset sharing, play testing, bouncing ideas off of each other. Yeah. Everything but the development, right? I mean, they, they develop the games independently, but they are a huge support system for each other for many things other than financial. And that can be very, very vital to get a kind of group together that uh, like bounce your ideas off of someone. So you aren't just are out in the wilderness and you don't know if the idea you're putting time into is worthwhile. I, I think it's really interesting to me to sort of, uh, you know, having played a, a decent sampling of these over the last uh, couple months, just to like start to understand like which developer makes which type of games. Like you can always sort of 
tell uh, a time in game because it's like very systems based. Um, you can always tell uh, a Tom game because it is it's more of a 3D bent. Um, a Ruben game has those like sort of fake 3D type games that are, <laughs> are really cute and funny. Um, mm-hmm. And Aaron, of course, Aaron is the the one who made Stacklands. So we have you know a lot of uh, really sort of diverse ideas and approaches to game making but they all sort of coalesce into a house style as you mentioned josh like the color palettes tend to be similar there's a recognizable aesthetic for sure Mm -hmm. and i think that really helps them meet these tightened deadlines that they've placed upon themselves right like if you feel one aspect of this relatively solved for you know, you don't know that you're starting completely from stage zero. You're starting from at least I have the, you know, sock pop house style to, to back me up. Um, mm-hmm. It can certainly be a nice thing to get off on the right foot with. Absolutely. That kind of, um, they call it look development or look dev, uh, is kind of uh, solved for what they do. Like, these games are recognizably sock pop games, no matter who they come from. Another interesting thing about these four people making the games uh, is one of the things I heard about the Beatles back in the 60s is that every one of them wrote songs and so that people would be Beatles fans, but they'd be like, oh, I'm a John fan or I really like George's song. So they appealed to a lot of different sensibilities because they had everybody creating their own thing. And I think Sock Pop does that too. Um, they Each of these developers, like Brian mentioned, has their own style. Um, and you might favor one of these guys over the other, but you might as well subscribe because, hey, even if you only like one of the four of them, I don't know why, but maybe you do, you're still getting a game every two months then, which is not a bad deal. You know, it's really interesting. You said the Beatles, they they called themselves or they branded themselves as a game development boy band from the future, which um, the Beatles <laughs> is, boy, a much more favorable comparison. I think they should have ran with that one instead. They <laughs> but, could have gone um, with like the game develop <laughs> the indie game dev Beatles of Utrecht. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, I mean, it might have been a bit presumptuous, but um, yeah, like you said, I... You, you hit on something really important here. It's like, you may be a fan of one dev, but really you're a fan of Sock Pop at the end of the day. Um, what it does is like, even if one of them hits it big with a certain subset of fans, um, it benefits all of them to sort of keep that snowball rolling um, to appeal to the largest possible audience to become a collective, which is what they did. And I have to admit that I am just as interested in them as a collective as I am in the games they make. Like, I, I think the games are fine, don't get me wrong. Like, they're certainly fun for the 50 minutes to an hour they intend them to be but i'm way more interested in the project than i am with like the generally speaking the games themselves you know some of the ones we'll talk about today are going to be the exceptions to that rule but these guys have released over 100 games or almost 100 games at this point and you know i have maybe a dozen of them that i think are without a doubt recommendable And at the same time, like, I'm just a big fan of these guys. And that's a pretty low hit rate for a developer, right? Like, if if you could say, you know, (laughs) one out of every eight games is going to be something that I could recommend, you're probably not going to be successful. But that's the power of this collective, right? Like, they can be successful with that kind of hit rate. Well, I'd also say, too, when you're talking about indie developers, one out of eight games being successful is maybe even a little generous as far as hit rates go. There's a lot of indie game studios that put out a game and they fold or collapse because the game's not paying the bills. Like, I think I saw a stat somewhere that the average game released on Steam, uh, it makes something like $200. Hmm. So the average game fails right here. And I think that's one of the genius things about their business model is this um you know this machine gun release style almost uh you might have one in eight games being a hit or uh being like su- uh, super good one but you're getting to that game too like you're not spending uh you're not spending a year or two on the games that aren't hits uh you're finding the ones that work and then like Stacklands, you're adding more content and uh building onto them after Well, I think that's the way that the approach has evolved in recent months, really, for them, is that they have started to double down on some of the more successful or, you know, clearly 
big idea projects like Stacklands. Um, and I'm interested to see where they go from here with that. Like if, it, if it's going to coalesce into something like, hey, we're going to hit on this and then focus resources here. I really, you know, because it's so against the way that they founded this, which is every individual does their own thing and we just pool our resources to make sure we can all keep doing our own thing. It's sort of a very interesting dichotomy between that and like what their most successful projects are ending up being, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, these games are selling, I think the usual game sells for $3 on Steam. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe like something like Stacklands, when they realize it's going to be a hit, they're like, let's raise the price to $5. Like, <laughs> for the most part, their games are short experiences. They're looking to get a half an hour, an hour of fun playtime. And that's kind of a a segment of the market that's kind of missing um, from most people's gaming diets. Like, people will complain about a four to five hour game as being too short. Um, and I think part of that is cost, too. You know, if you pay $60 for a game, there's certain expectations that go with it. Conversely, if you're paying $3 for a game, then yeah. you aren't, you know, if someone complains that it's not five hours of gameplay, you're like, well, it's $3, man. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, less than that, if you think about the $3 a month Patreon level getting you two two games every month. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that you describe the way that, you know, people will get this back catalog of these games, especially if they're a patron like, like I am, you know, over the course of my couple months with this, I have, you know, um, because uh, they, they grandfather you into a bunch of stuff too. So I, I guess I now from my couple months of Patreon, I have like a dozen of their games. And, um, uh, yeah, like you said, I just, you know, the ones that I knew I was going to be interested in, I, I shotgunned or I, I played a lot longer and the ones that I quickly realized I wasn't, I just sort of said, all right, well, you know, there's not exactly a uh, sunk cost fallacy here. Uh, I'll just, you know, move right on. Um, and I think that's really nice, right? Like the, the lack of sort of investment that you're putting on yourself and trying to find something that you actually really like is refreshing. You know, you don't feel obligated to because you bought a game, stick with it in this particular <laughs> case. Um, you're just, you know, I'm happy that I supported this developer. And if I happen to like the game they put out, awesome. <laughs> I really like the way they negotiate this sort of big game, small game thing that we were just talking about before. Like the release date situation can be probably kind of onerous if you like realize you have a big idea and you want to spend more time on it. Um, they talk a little bit about this on some of their behind the scenes YouTubes, but they they talked about how they sort of borrow from each other and help each other and reach out to outside entities to sort of help them if they have a, an idea like Stacklands that needs a bit more development time. Mm-hmm. Uh, more development time, or it's worth spending more resources on. Uh, I believe. Um... Aaron uh, reached out to an external artist to help provide some of the artwork for that game. That would be Lisa Mantle, um, who did all the art for that game. Uh, great art, by the way. It's very super, cute. Like, like it. Yeah, very cute and low poly. Uh, you know, it, it goes, it's definitely just like a very competent evolution of the uh, Sock Pop House style, which is low poly, colorful, chunky animations. Um, I think it was described in a quote by one of them as low effort, good stuff. Um, <laughs> and lisa took that into um you know medium effort great stuff i guess or i don't know what her effort level was but uh regardless of effort level really nice looking art well speaking of Stacklands. Yeah, maybe we should get into it, right? I mean, now is the time. Uh, let's. Uh, this is our premiere game of the the cast that we want to talk about. Uh, we'll we'll definitely talk about other games, but yeah, Stacklands. Tell us about it, Josh. Stacklands is a village builder, um, where your village is a bunch of cards on the table, <laughs> including your villagers. Um, you gather resources, you create buildings and resource collection spots. Uh, you buy booster packs and you unwrap them and see what random cards you get. And you eventually build a thriving society that doesn't starve every time the full moon comes around. 
<laughs> I love the booster packs thing. Like the whole like really digging into the card aesthetic on this was like so like such a good aesthetic choice to me. Like, you know, like they could have just made it, um, you know, you're dealt new cards or they appear every so often. But the fact that you have to actually, you know, sell cards to purchase new booster packs of cards, which in, in turn sort of change up um, what you have available to you at any given time was a really nice way to sort of create a economy for this game that also made sense given the fact that it's cards i love it and the booster packs are an interesting design choice because uh there's different themes for each of the booster packs so maybe you're like oh man my food stocks are low i gotta get my farming game going there's booster packs you can buy specifically for that. Or you're looking to um, find ideas. Ideas are these hints they give you about how to build certain structures or what the kind of like resource requirements are for this. Because like old school Minecraft, um, you don't have a crafting menu where you pull it up and it's like you want to build a house that's two sticks. A lot of the stuff you can find out just by stacking random cards together, especially in the beginning, and seeing where it leads you. Great sense of discovery because of that. You were, yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I think that the, the thing I was going to say that really appealed to me about this when I first played it was it felt like you were discovering something every, you know, five seconds with, you know, just trying to combine different cards. Um, you know, every, as you said, everything in the town is a card. So thinking about like how those things interact or how, um, you know, uh, analogs to this game like a Minecraft would have them interact to get a new technology is really key climbing that tech tree and the sense of discovery you get while you're climbing it is really like the golden moment of this game like i think that is the thing that makes it work for me um mm -hmm. you know placing a villager on a tree to get wood the wood on sticks to get a fence and then suddenly you have a whole city um it's great and they there are those idea cards that they parcel out um but the rate at which they give those cards out to you is low enough like they don't always show up in the booster packs or maybe you're not doing the um there's a couple of booster packs i think that focus on ideas specifically and maybe you're like oh i need everyone's starving i gotta get the food going i gotta spend my money on that <laughs> like there's um enough time in between getting those idea cards that it's almost like an encouragement to play around with things yourself that's right. And on top of that, they give you the ability to pause in this game, which, you know, lets you sort of get your ducks in a row before you, um, you know, once you get more than a few villagers, it makes sense to want to be able to take a minute, collect yourself, realize what your resource needs are, realize what you want to work towards on that tech tree, and then move on. And while all of this is going on, um, during normal action, you have this really great chill sort of lo-fi beat playing and then when you pause it just sort of chills out even more <laughs> so <laughs> or when you go twice as fast the music becomes a little more up tempo yeah it's just like very cohesive and i don't know if they do their own music or not i didn't i forgot to look at the credits for the music so i'll drop that in the show notes if it's um something different but i think they did a really great job with the the sonic aspect of, of Stacklands as well mm-hmm yeah, a lot of games, when you pause it, they just keep playing the same music as it is, but having the time affect the music a little bit, it's a it's a good choice. And it sounds, um, it still sounds pretty chill, even when you're going fast, just because of the nature of the music. Yeah, it really does. It's like a, a really nice style. The ability for Sock Pop to decide to take a little bit of extra time to refine it really made all the difference. Um, not to say that there aren't charming and, you know, very chill, good aspects about other games we'll talk about, but it's on another level with Stacklands, I think. Stacklands was my favorite of everything I played. Um, I think there are some ones that were really, really good games, too, but I think Stacklands, well, it inspired me to write an article on it, you know, so. <laughs> Clearly, there's something there. Um but, you know, it's interesting because, like, you can see a lot of the elements of evolution that came from some of the games that came before and, and some things that have been maybe borrowed um, to, that sort of got it to where it needed to be. And in that same vein, they also spent a little bit of extra time to expand on the initial release of Stacklands. Uh, most recently, they released uh, an update called Islands, 
Uh, I believe you played it, right, Josh? That's right. I haven't beaten this one yet, but did get far enough into it. Like, um, I've beaten Stacklands uh, back when I first was playing it, uh, probably to spend about five hours on the game, um, and, you know, discovered everything there was to discover. Uh, Sock Pop is, you know, they're revisiting these hits they're making uh, with Stacklands. They're not just doing a two-month release cycle and being done. Why would you when this is like your breakout smash success hit? There was recently an island update. There was a major content update. This created a another kind of card table board that you would play on in a completely different environment. And playing it again today, I was reminded of some of that f- initial sense of discovery kind of stuff I had, because you get to this island, there's brand new cards and systems and mechanics. It works really well how they're doing that, and it definitely reminded me of what it was like to first play Stacklands. Yeah, I think this is interesting in a couple ways. One, because it reveals just how flexible this framework for design is. You know, you could think of probably a dozen more thematically appropriate, you know, um, ways to play Stacklands based on this island update. Now that <laughs> um, now that you know we've got um, the Tundra update, we've got the, the volcano, volcano level lands update. Yeah, you gotta got, have a got volcano level. <laughs> I got everything in the Sonic slash Mario pantheon of level designs. <laughs> um, but you know, at the same time, it also represents an interesting way they can change the way that they're putting out content from their Patreon and business model. Right, like maybe instead of on a monthly basis, you are getting a brand new game, you're getting free DLC for Stacklands or free DLC for X future game, you know? Um, I think if there's a hit, a game that like continues to resonate with the audience from Patreon and or beyond, um, the ability to use that as something they can turn into a monthly or bi-monthly release as it is, is also compelling, right? Like this is Obviously, a business model, this collective thing that they're doing is is something they're still evolving, um, as is evidenced by Stacklands itself. And I think the Islands update represents yet another turn of the, um, you know, turn of the table in terms of how they can continue to to monetize and, you know, keep their collective going. Yeah, uh, it's not easy to stay afloat in game development. Um, games are expensive to make and they don't always make back the money you're hoping. Uh, so <laughs> these guys have a really kind of a radical business model compared to a lot of other game studios out there, and I'm very happy to see them succeed. Like I said up top, you know, I, I think I'm equally as interested in the collective itself as I am with their their output. <laughs> hmm. So, you know, you get invested in these, these developers, and, you know, the fact that they make things you like is um, uh, obviously like the reason you're initially attracted to um, their their project, but you start to get invested after a little while. I think the Patreon thing works so well for this specific group of people. You know, I don't see this working for everyone, honestly. Like, I don't think this is necessarily an easily replicable situation that they have here, but I'm really glad it exists. Ah, uh, agreed, agreed. So to that end, um, you know, I was talking a little bit about how you can see some of the uh, strands of DNA coming from their other games into this one. And maybe we should talk about our other sort of main headliner game that we both played, uh, Similand, which I believe is their second most popular game, at least as it comes to Steam numbers to date. I might be wrong about that, but it's at least up there. Uh, And I thought this was a really fun little game. What about yourself? Yeah, uh, Similand was a great experience another one i sunk quite a few hours into um how this works is you're given a little map screen of an island with some different terrain types and it's a classic god game where you have a couple of cards you draw and these are your powers where you can make the rain fall or send lightning strikes or wind or all sorts of different god powers here in order to make your civilization thrive. Right. It really keys on the interaction between your actions and the different objects or, as you said, acts of God that you can place on a given biome, right? So you have your plains, your wastelands, your oceans, your mountains, your desert, and you affect them with people and wind and water, earthquakes, sun, rain, meteors, and 
given those things, you are hopefully shepherding a civilization to its um, rise and eventual destruction, as all things end up being. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I called this an auto-civ. But um, to your point, it's it's a god game. Like that's the, the the common nomenclature for a game like this. I just I didn't have that, so I made up a word called auto sieve. Which I uh, do like the auto sieve <laughs> because the little villagers will move on your own. And this is definitely a game about kind of nurturing your civilization and trying to get it to expand as much as it can. Yeah, the whole point, and I think this is um, one of those things that I. Um, have noticed through a few of the the games by Timon is you you sort of continually advance up a tech tree because or due to your runs right like you do a run here and you get to a certain length and it unlocks new cards right it unlocks new things you can affect the environment with in this game Similand say if you reach a certain achievement it will unlock the ability for you to get a new thing to affect your biomes with or a new biome to place on the ground so that you can have new things happen with your your civilization um and like that sort of slight meta progression is just enough to turn this from you know a 20 minute game into like maybe a five hour game um and that I think is a really elegant way that Timon designs his games as, as, you know, just starting to pick up on the things that I recognized between the games that one particular member of the, the team is putting out, um, you know, week over week, month, month over month. I do like the, again, I'm going to use a sense of discovery phrase here, um, <laughs> but there is a lot of stuff that isn't signposted in this game. Except maybe if you're browsing Steam and you take a look over the achievements. Um, So I beat the game. I think I beat it twice because I enjoyed it that much. Um, But I was looking over the achievements and I saw one. You get an achievement if your civilization kills you, the god. And I'm like, oh, whoa. That is... Not the game I was playing, uh, but then I, you know, go online and I look into it more. Um, there's a uh, there's a mechanic, there's a currency you have called faith, which kind of acts as your god mana. You know, if you fulfill requests from villagers and you show them a windstorm over the ocean or whatever when they're looking for that, then they give you more faith, and you can use that faith to cast more wind or summon meteors or, you know, affect the biome as much as you want. If you accumulate enough faith, which is kind of the default course of action, the villagers will build a church, which gives you infinite faith, Um, but that also kind of stops a tech tree path. If you don't fulfill enough requests and you play very uh, intentionally, you can keep your faith low enough that they'll advance and create like spaceships and intergalactic travel and start uh, AI research and eventually, you know, send ships to try to kill you. And you're like, ah, my sieve, (laughs) they've finally grown up. Wow. Hey, I mean, that's pretty wild. I mean, for Jesus. I had no idea that that was even in this game. Um, I obviously did not get as far as you in in Simuland, but that's <laughs> wild. Um, I you know I I enjoyed the sort of deck accumulation part, but I didn't realize it got into this existential question of every Final Fantasy game, which is what does it take to kill God? Um, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, it's just crystals, lots of crystals. No, apparently, you just got to put an achievement on Steam for it, and then people <laughs> will figure out what to do. Got it. So that's what was driving all of those uh, protagonists in the various Final Fantasies. One Achievement through. unlocked. <laughs> Indeed. But yeah, I, uh, I, I think to your point, like, Simulan to me was really engaging just because, like, the, the faith mechanic allowed you a modicum of control that I I enjoyed and it paired it with the sort of unpredictability that I hadn't seen since something like Black and White. Like I remember really enjoying, did you play Black and White Josh? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it, this felt like a very low lo-fi Black and White to me but like with a bit of Civ mixed in just because there was that, you know, very hardcore progression aspect of the, the actual human civilization itself. 
and I I don't know it just it it worked for me and it happened in such a short amount of time that I think it it really made it easily digestible like this is something you could play an entire run of um in a relatively short amount of time you know maybe even your longest games Josh I know I, did, I mine probably weren't as long as yours given that you were killed by your intergalactic civilization um I uh, I think it was probably like maybe a half an hour for me at my at my my best I don't know mm-hmm. about you I think my longest game lasted about an hour or so. Uh, I did not get killed by my sieves. Or, <laughs> but it wasn't for a lack of trying, let me say. <laughs> you, you were goading them. You were doing your best to get uh, killed by spacefaring meeples uh, on the, <laughs> the island of Similand. All right. Well, um, now that we've uh, discussed uh, Stacklands and, and Similan, it's time for us to go into the portion of our, our discussion where we kind of throw out a bunch of different stuff that we played. Uh, we may dive into uh, a few of them in a little bit more depth, but, you know, we both played, you know, upwards of a dozen of these games uh, and, you know, some with more time or success than others. But at the end of the day, I think it was really interesting just to get a sampling of, of what was out there. So maybe we just sort of trade off. Do you want to go You want to go first, Josh, and mention a game you liked from your, your sampling of Sock Pop? Sure. Uh, my third favorite game of theirs, and definitely one I spent a Sunday afternoon on, was called Lucket Town. Lucket Town was a tower defense game, but the twist on that was that it used a dice mechanic um, that was similar to a board game I've played called Dice Settlers, where these dice don't have um, numbers on them necessarily. Like, they don't have one through six, but rather they have resources. And you roll the dice, and these are the resources you have to build whatever you have going up the tech tree. Um, And then you have pools, and you go through that. So it was some fun strategy um and a fun game to play definitely recommend that one yeah i played luck town as well so i'll add my thoughts here as well and what this reminded me most of was um tower defense yahtzee like they all of the uh um recipes for the things you were trying to build be it traps or units or structures were on a little recipe list on the right side of the screen so you could roll you know you could go for a specific recipe click on it and it'll save the correct dice for you just like you would if you were going for a Yahtzee or something like that and then it would re-roll the rest of them um, I really like this I did not get very far into it but I recognize the really interesting idea that that was present there so uh, thumbs up for me for uh, luck at town as well uh, next one that uh, I'll bring up here is a game called tile tale um, which is a, a recent Patreon release that I, I really liked. I played several rounds of, and it has a similar sort of progression mechanic to, to Simland where, you know, you're um, meeting certain requirements and unlocking them. But the game itself manifests as a grid, uh, a, a three-by-three grid of, of tiles where you're sliding tiles to match um, squares to do sort of a score chase, and you unlock additional tiles as you go. Um I really enjoyed that it, it channeled sort of the, the Amazing Labyrinth, if you ever played that board game, where you're basically trying to slide tiles into place, get either, um, basically get a square of tiles so you can um, score on those, and then it adds additional tiles to your pile, and really what you're trying to do is continue your, your various tiles and evolve them up through um, unlocking new and different types of, of things to make a more interesting sort of landscape on the, the tiles that you have in place. It's uh, you know, it's probably not a game that's meant to be played super long, but I think it fits the sock pop oeuvre perfectly in that it's short, enjoyable, and uh, a fun little score chase that you can do on a, a lunch break or a, you know, coffee break even. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, the, uh, their games are not all intended to be played for hours, um, but you don't need to ask that of them either uh, for what they're doing, you know? Mm-hmm, Exactly. It's just a, a just a nice simple thing, um, and that's going to be the theme running through here. Is it's not gonna, always going to be something that I played for hours and hours, but maybe it's something that I played for like a solid thirty minutes to an hour and got a lot of enjoyment out of. You can get fifteen minutes of enjoyment out of it, <laughs> and if you enjoy it, then hey, that's good. What was your next game, Josh? 
next, I will go with Pocket Watch. This was a small adventure game uh, that had a kind of time-traveling, end-of-the-world mechanic, sort of like Majora's Mask. After a certain amount of time passing in the game, um, the volcano would explode, and if you hadn't figured out the right path of things to do, or collected the right items, then you go back to the beginning. It had some charming visuals, um, and I could tell there were some good hooks there, some interesting characters, but this one didn't grab me as much. And I said, that's okay. You know, I've put a, put a half hour into this game, and it's not for me. I played a, a bit of that game as well, and, and likewise for you, I, I think I found like the UI to be a little bit too challenging. You know, we're not always going to be talking about the most polished things here, um, given that, that, you know, they ship often, ship early, ship often. And sometimes that's before a round of polish that may be necessary to making it a, a fully, <laughs> you know, perfected experience there. Like you said, good bones, interesting ideas. Um, it didn't have the refinement that kept me wanting to play it. Um, but yeah, agreed. Uh, an interesting outing. Uh, the next game that I played is a game called White Lavender, uh, another one that I recently got off, off Patreon. And this is interestingly sort of a action-adventure, Souls-like game, and a pretty competent one at that. Um, it uh, takes place in a world of bugs. Uh, you're going around exploring through sort of 3D, very low-poly Unity environments, and it's really neat and atmospheric, a surprising amount of build variety for a game that, you know, released in a, a, the amount of time that it's Sock Pop Collective releases games. Um, all in all, I, I would really recommend this game if you're looking for, like, a pretty... Um, you know, competent lo-fi Souls-like. Like, you're not going to be getting a dozen hours out of this, but, like, they nailed all of the things that make a Souls-like feel like a Souls-like and then removed all of the cruft of, like, incredibly high production values, cinematics, blah, blah, blah. Um, I recommend it. High praise from Brian on saying it has <laughs> all the essential Souls-like Souls -like features mechanical souls-like features like i said i mean you're not going to be coming here for like the deep lore but you'll you'll get the air of mystery the atmosphere um a decent amount of build variety uh, surprisingly like i said it, it's fun i i would recommend it well following up his souls-like experience i'll follow up with the crow-like game i played rook um, Rook is a game where you play as a bird. You're trying to build a nest for your eggs and not starve along the way. Um, short and sweet game. I love the idea of it. Uh, and it introduced some interesting mechanics. Um, it was, it, it was a good experience, a short one for me, but a good one. This was a game that would not justify trying to make it be a two hour game, but it doesn't need to. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, sometimes you just got to get in, get out, and, and say your idea. The final game that I want to recommend is a game called Kingpins, which is a very competent little RTS game. Um, it has a built-in versus mode, so, you know, if you want, you can play with a friend. But really, this was a nice little sort of low-fi, uh, low low-poly um, RTS, you know, either defense or conquest game. Like, you know what it reminded me a lot of? I don't know if any, this is going to be a deep poll. If anyone played Warlocked on Game Boy Color back in the day, oh. it was basically, <laughs> basically like if you boiled Warcraft down to its base components, that's kind of what we're working with here. Oh, and uh, it was, it's, it's really fun and it looks great. Like it has a really nice little clean art style. Um, uh, it, it looks, it, it's exactly in the sock pop house style, but at the same time, it like works perfectly for the RTS that they have in place. And the last game I played from sock pop was a little game called Spruits, which is another kind of village simulator, except in this game, all your villagers are tiny little plant people. They go around, they pick up sticks and mud and uh, animal dung and they research it until they can craft clay pots or spears or what have you and go exploring around their little world um haven't gotten to the end of this game yet i actually just started it on lunch break this afternoon um but it was a fun little experience and exactly i think the sort of thing i'm looking for from sock pop when i'm playing a game i want some new interesting mechanics to explore um uh, 
something that I can kind of like say, okay, it's, I see what genre this is kind of coming from and I can kind of guess what my goals are in this game, but just like a fun system to play around with. I liked it for that. Yeah, I think that's one of their strengths is like recognizing a very popular game and distilling it into like the the base components that make it enjoyable and then making a whole little, you know, 15 minute to hour long experience about it. Like I can't really I, I won't go into details on it, but I played a game called Helionaut, which is basically No Man's Sky. I, I nicknamed it No Man's Sock. Hmm. And um, I think, you know, they, they have a talent for that sort of like finding the the interesting nuggets in a hit game and being like, all right, so how do we make the sock version of this? And I think that's really fun. And, you know, I'm, I'm here to play, as you said, Josh, for the price, the same price, basically as a candy bar, you could do that on your lunch break instead of eating something that'll rot your teeth and add a (laughs) hundred calories to your daily diet or whatever. So with that, do we want to sum up our thoughts with a three-word review? I thought about giving a three-word review for all of the games on offer that I I mentioned today, but I thought that might be a bit reductive. So I'm going to give a three-word review on um, the approach taken by the collective at Soapop. So my three-word review is Curious Collective Creation. I'm enamored by the way these four individuals have teamed up to create this collective that is, above all, about creating art, no matter how messy or unrefined, at a breakneck bi-monthly pace. Their track record of almost 100 games speaks for itself, but I think the collective's best days are still in front of it, since they seem to have improved the ways in which they double down on especially exciting projects such as Stacklands. The serendipity of game creation combined with their curious collective approach that takes advantage of the group's varied tastes and methods is truly a force to be reckoned with. And while they're not always putting out the most polished games, they are always putting out something that is short, sweet, and engaging. Definite thumbs up. Check out Sock Pop. Recommend. Check out that Patreon. It's interesting. (laughs) My three-word review is Rapid Fire Release. Indie game development is tough and there are two big mistakes that it's easy to fall into. The first mistake is not prototyping enough. You might fall in love with an idea that turns out to be not that fun to play, and then you spend years of development setting yourself up for failure. The second mistake is the dreaded scope creep, adding feature after feature onto a game and never releasing it. Either error can sink an indie studio, and Sock Pop has found a wonderful way around both. By releasing small games every few months, each developer creates a half dozen games where another dev might create one. In doing so, they increase their luck surface area and better the odds that one of their games will become a success. They work on valuable game development skills like juice, game feel, keeping games at a reasonable size, and the very underappreciated skill of finishing a game. It's a brilliant idea and one as a fellow indie game developer that I hope to follow in their footsteps. Stick around for the post-roll to hear a little more. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Um, And with that, I want to say thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well. And if you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. Take care and keep on creating. did this little experiment i think this is definitely an atypical episode for us but um i got a lot out of it and i i don't know i 
I'm glad to sort of be, have a new thing to be a, a fan of, especially something that's like as low of a lift as Sock Pop games, you know? Like mm -hmm. they are truly like um, very low calorie intake, you know? It's not like suddenly becoming a fan of the Souls, uh, Dark Souls genre of games or something like that, where I've got like five games that are 40 hours a piece ahead of me. Mm -hmm. It's um, nice, digestible, and fun, and full of new ideas, which I also like. Yeah, they, they're all over the place with what they're going for. Like, developers have their kind of uh, tendencies they lean towards, but, you know, the games feel very different. Mm -hmm. I think the, the interesting thing is we're coming at this in late 2022, and just recently is when they started putting their games on Steam. Uh, and now that's 50% of their revenue, right? So it essentially doubled their revenue since they started putting their games on Steam. It's crazy for me a little bit to think that they did so well just putting games on Itch and having the Patreon page. Because yeah. Steam is such a lion's share type of um, revenue for uh, different development studios. Well, I'm sure they're looking back on the decision to keep things off of Steam in the first place and... Um, you know, maybe maybe it needed that. Maybe they needed to have like the entry point to the market. Otherwise, they're just going to have like this gigantic cavalcade of Steam pages for, you know, very undiscovered niche games with, you know, not a lot of traction. But if you do that on the back of one hit game where you do have like a presence on Steam, maybe it makes a little more sense. Um, I don't know. I think I think a lot of things worked out really well for this group, and I'm not trying to say they're they're just lucky because clearly they're very skilled. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, they do seem to make the right decisions at the right time to one keep their audience happy and to capitalize on the things that they have in hand. Yeah, absolutely. I think their pivot to spending more time on um, games that have proven themselves is a wise move for sure. Uh, we talked. You talk, said we were coming at this at a, bit, a little bit of a different perspective. I think that's that's very true because, um, like, I have my game development hobby, um, which you know, calling it hobby is I think a little bit underselling it too because it's <laughs> hobby it <makes> obsession. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I've released a game Moondrop onto Steam, and that's been one i've been working on for about two years now uh mm -hmm. it's it's great it's doing good it's doing well um but i take i take a look at sock pop and talking with some other people i'm uh kind of active in the boston indie game dev scene and people have been talking about sock pop a lot uh, a few a few months ago when stacklands made it big about the model they have um and as far as kind of like a business model it makes a lot of sense doing the kind of collective thing but even from a personal skill development model like i think that idea of putting out a whole bunch of prototypes and working on some of those game dev skills i mentioned like scope management like um getting the games to punch and making small contained experiences i think that's something very doable um even as a solo developer and just making a bunch of not quite prototypes like finished games but finished like here's a 15 to 20 minute kind of game making a bunch of those next year and then seeing if any of them get any reception um get people excited about them then i think as a business move, then focusing on that afterwards and extending that game could be a very interesting experiment. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think you could basically characterize Sock Pop as Game Jam, the studio, right? Like that is kind of what we're, we're working with here, except they're they're taking it to a more individualistic. It's both individualistic and collective, right? Like uh, the rising tide lifts all boats in that if one of them is successful, all of them are, but also they're all working on their own ideas. So they're, you know, they're, they're not cross pollinating their efforts as much as one might um, expect from people that ostensibly are part of uh, the same quote unquote company. And maybe that's just my American like view of this because there's no fucking way that you could do this in America because um, one, I don't feel like it would be very easy to sustain 
um, the level of income needed to survive here. <laughs> you know, it, um, <laughs> you know, he- he- health insurance costs alone would sink the studio in a couple months. Um, <laughs> um, it's just like there, there's they have grants coming from the government that help our projects get off the ground, like pop undoubtedly benefited from socialized health care, you know, welfare income that is much more generous than what we have here in the States. It just, you know, we don't have an environment here that is conducive to these types of projects. And, you know, um, that should tell you something about how we do art here in the, in the States and maybe something that we could do better. I agree. I agree for sure. Like I'm a big fan of the idea of basic income that, People want to create things, and I imagine that if we did have something like that, we'd have thousands of sock pop studios out there. And that, sure. that's, a, that's a dream, but I don't know how attainable it would be. Oh, yeah. I mean, in our current environment, absolutely unattainable. But I think we should we should be more generous about taking flyers on like motivated people that want to create art. Um because it benefits everyone like you know you could think of it as as frivolous but if you look back you know over the course of 2020 to 2022 where we are now um i don't know about you but a lot of what got me through some of the darker moments of the global pandemic that we all just suffered were people that continued to create art throughout it and um there's something to be said for that 